0: Social media did not exist when I started my career, right? And think about how that has changed the landscape of how we communicate and how we find sources and how we share information. But I also told young journalists to remember, even as you are comfortable with change and as you understand that the way we do our work may evolve, to keep those core tenets of accuracy and fairness at the forefront.
1: That was Marissa Kwiatkowski investigative reporter at USA Today, talking about how diversity, equity, and inclusion are critical to our journalism industry. And this is IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. Good afternoon, Marissa, and it's so good to see you again. Thanks for joining us today on the Freedom Forum this month, and I'm so glad to have you here in the studio. Now, before we get started, will you please tell our listeners a bit about you, your educational and professional background, and any other factors that have led to you becoming an investigative reporter for USA Today? Ooh,
0: (laughs) big question. (laughs) So, I am a Michigan native. I've been single minded about journalism. I had my first internship when I was 15 years old at a weekly newspaper. I have a bachelor's degree in journalism from Grand Valley State University in Michigan and a master's in business administration from Indiana University. And I've really had a pretty traditional path in journalism. I started at a smaller paper and just continued to. Moved to different parts of the country, different positions, covering different beats, before moving full-time into investigations when I was up in northwest Indiana. I came to Indianapolis in 2013 to work for the Indianapolis Star, where I worked until 2019 when I joined USA Today.
1: So I'll admit, I don't know anything about journalism. This is one field that is kind of certainly outside of my wheelhouse. So I'm excited to talk today about this. You have a residence here in Indiana, so you've been doing all this fantastic journalism work from here in the Hoosier State. However, you spent a significant amount of time, like you've already said, in Michigan and Indiana, where you received your MBA from the Kelly School of Business During an evening program, and I can appreciate that because I did the same, I get so many women and diverse students who ask me about the challenges of going to evening school, the sacrifices that are required, and quite frankly, whether it's worth it. So can you explain what circumstances led to you becoming a night student and what convinced you to make that move or that leap? And how has that MBA program helped advance your career in journalism?
0: I had known for a long time that I wanted to have a master's degree, and I really settled on business administration in MBA because I was reporting on a lot of different topics throughout my career, but business was never one of them. And it was an area where I felt like I could grow, an area where I wanted to learn more. And so it felt like filling a gap in my knowledge base by going for an MBA And I was inspired actually by a colleague of mine from the Indianapolis Star who was getting her MBA. And I felt like the time was right. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, right, it was actually probably not the best time in my career. But at the time it felt like I was really in a position in my personal life where I could have given that time. And I said, let's go for it.
1: And how have you used it? What benefits do you see in your journalism career?
0: Well, again, I think the benefit of filling that knowledge gap and understanding the way businesses think and sort of the strategies behind it, the accounting and the probabilities and all of those sorts of things operationally as well helps me from a reporting perspective when I'm looking at businesses or looking into businesses or organizations. I think it's incredibly helpful, but I also just think It's helpful from a personal perspective. I do a lot of philanthropic work, and so it's been beneficial there in terms of leadership positions that I've held in the nonprofit realm. So it's really helped me in a lot of different ways.
1: So when you were just starting off in your career path, what did you aspire to do? You said you were pretty single-minded about journalism, so it sounds like you knew that's where you wanted to go, but were you aware of all the career opportunities that were available to you in your field, and when did you realize you had a unique opportunity in journalism that could really change the trajectory and not just your life, but other people's lives?
0: As I mentioned earlier, very single minded about journalism. I don't think I understood all of the facets of journalism when I was very young. I just knew that I was very interested in people. And that's really what has inspired most of the work that I've done as a reporter is caring about people and being interested in people and how things, policies, procedures, businesses affect people. And all of my sort of decisions that I've made in journalism have been kind of following that path. I don't think I understood the word investigative when I was starting out. I don't think I had a word. I knew that I liked doing stories that dug deeper into topics or, or were looking into things, but I don't. I think I really had the word investigative probably for the first five years of my career because it wasn't something that I'd been exposed to in school in that particular frame of conversation. It evolved over time.
1: One of the reasons I wanted to have you on this show is because you're very different than so many of the guests I've had on. You're an investigative reporter in journalism industry, which I recently learned is actually dominated by women. Now, you can tell me if that's actually true, but I saw stats that said that 53.4% of the journalists in the U.S. are women, which I'm always dealing with industries where women are always the minority. So I want to know if, A, you know that to be true, and if that affects your experience as a journalist or has over the course of time as far as being not just a journalist but an investigative reporter in that regard.
0: I haven't looked at the statistics, so I can't speak to what the numbers are nationally. I can tell you from my experience that there's been an evolution in journalism When I started out, there were much more men. It was much more of a male-dominated field. I think what we're seeing today, particularly in journalism schools, I speak to a lot of journalism classes, is that there are much more women in journalism classes than there are men. And I don't know what is spurring that change, but there are certainly more women involved in journalism now, based on my personal experience, than I've seen in the past. Can you
1: at least opine on whether you believe journalism is a career field that has, you know, is there anything you just said? So I think you've already answered this question. You don't know what's spurring that change, but is there something in journalism? Or the field or the environment that may be different from the standard fields I'm dealing with, like STEM and law, that are clearly male dominated and are so far away from being even equal in as far as gender, that may lead women to pursue that career path than some others.
0: That is a great question that I do not have the answer to. I mean, I've certainly seen those disparities. I mean, when I went in the MBA program I think there were six women in my cohort of 60. But I couldn't speak to the why behind, you know, you'd have to talk to young journalists coming up to really get a sense of sort of what's spurring that interest and and also what's making men who might have chosen that career field choose something else.
1: It may not be any surprise that I would suspect of the women who are in journalism, many of them are not diverse. You can certainly speak to that and tell me, what you think about those trends. But I'd like to know, can you please advise if there are any things you would advise for diverse women or diverse people generally who are interested in journalism? Are there opportunities or societies or clubs or organizations that are Generated to kind of drive more diversity in the journalism field as compared to, again, some of the other fields where we clearly don't see enough diversity. If you've been able to successfully get more gender diversity, which it seems to be always the leading aspect of diversity, there's typically going to generally be more women that join any field and then kind of the diversity comes with it. And it sounds like that's already happening in journalism with more women. And even now, we're actually seeing more women in law schools than has been in the past. So you've got to believe over time that will equate to more women being in the field. But what about diverse women and diverse people? Do you know if there's any opportunities that specifically propose to advance the diversity beyond gender in the field of journalism?
0: I think it's unquestionable that journalism has a diversity problem, that we don't have enough journalists of color in the field and in particularly in leadership in investigations as well. There are a lot of ways that we are trying to change that as an industry. There are, I think, More recently, trends to recruit more heavily from organizations like NABJ, NAHJ, AAJA, and others. And I think there are efforts to make sure also that we're inspiring young journalists of color to enter the field too. Is there more to be done? There's absolutely more to be done at every level of journalism. But I do think that I would argue, pretty late, (laughs) too late. These efforts are being made, and hopefully they will be fruitful and will mean, at the end of the day, better journalism overall, because that's really what matters. We're serving the community, and the more diverse that our newsrooms are, the better we can serve our communities.
1: Seems to me like journalism, just like being a doctor or nurse, is a field where you need to be able to connect with your audience, right? You need people to trust you in order to tell you the truths about what's happening, what has happened. And oftentimes, for good or for bad, that Trust often is culminated with someone being able to relate to their journalist or their doctor or their lawyer or whatever the case may be in order to be able to get to those important truths that you seek to uncover and really publicize in a way that if I don't trust you or if I'm not quite convinced that you want the best for me or you're truly doing this from a good place, you may not be able to get the truth of any particular story.
0: And as with any other profession, if there are members of the community who have seen other journalists or other outlets handle something inappropriately, that affects their view of the industry at large.
1: So another aspect of why I wanted to bring you on this show and a particular vantage point of diversity that many people may not appreciate is that you really have focused your career on children and protecting children, looking for ways to protect children. And I think, again, that's very different to many of the business leaders that I've had on that are business leaders, dealing with adults, dealing with adult problems, and you really have a different vantage point because you have really taken on some of the bigger challenges and issues that really affect children. And especially in your role, when you are often learning, investigating, and identifying awful things that children have endured at the hands of adults, I imagine it takes some mental stamina and some a very mission-based approach. So what do you believe are some particular strengths or skills that you possess that have supported your career success to date, you know, really focusing on children and protecting children?
0: I think I would start by telling you that I haven't always done it right. I started my career covering a lot of different beats, as I mentioned, before I moved into investigations full time. And I covered a lot of horrific child deaths and things like that. And I remember moments where, you know, I would call my husband from the car crying because it was just so difficult to see the worst of humanity day in, day out. It can be an incredibly difficult challenge. What I would say, though, is that over time, you in some ways learn how to cope with that, but also you find healthy outlets. And so when I'm talking to young journalists and I'm talking to them about reporting on trauma and navigating trauma as part of their jobs, I encourage them to really check in with themselves because early in my career, there weren't these conversations about sort of the reporter as a person, right? It was about the work and the work is still paramount, but it's also about being the best person as well so that you can give the best journalism. And so I encourage young journalists When you need a break, take it. If you need to go for a walk or if you need to find a healthy outlet for yourself. You know, for me, it's exercise or it's reading romance novels with a guaranteed happy ending. But finding whatever your thing is, whatever your healthy outlet is to take you out of the work and not being afraid to make those decisions. But I think it's also important in the moment When I'm doing interviews that are incredibly challenging, I'm not thinking about me at all. I'm thinking about them and what do they need and how can I be most supportive and most present for these conversations. All my focus is there. It's not on myself.
1: Now it's time for a quick break.
0: Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with the Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand podcast. Available now at insideindianabusiness.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: We're back with Marissa Kwiatkowski, investigative reporter at USA Today, on this 27th episode of the Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman what is some of the work that you are most proud of? What are some of the things that when you're at the end of your career, you'll look back and say, wow, I'm proud of that. I'm proud I did that story. I'm proud I was bold enough. Because I have to believe, particularly in the environment where we are now, where you have to Put your byline, right? You have to put your name on a story that many people may not like, may not appreciate, may be revealing things that people have tried to hide or keep secret. It can be a little daunting at times to consider consequences or did I upset someone to the point that they may want to come find me or whatever. I would imagine that the climate, just because of the political climate, has changed over time from 10 years ago to now. That really requires some real boldness, and again, a mission-based approach. You have to know why you're doing what you're doing and be comfortable and confident in that mission. So what are some of the stories that really make you proud or really make you appreciate that you were bold enough to push through and get it to the finish line?
0: Asking for the stories I'm most proud of is almost like asking who is your favorite child, (laughs) you know? (laughs) because. So much of the work I've done resonates with me still today for very different reasons, right? If you're asking sort of what am I most known for, it would probably be the work that my colleagues and I did at the Indianapolis Star relating to USA Gymnastics and Larry Nasser and the allegations of sexual abuse. Others might know the work that I did relating to the sport of cheerleading and the allegations of sexual abuse against cheerleader Jerry Harris. Others may know the work I did relating to Indiana Adult Protective Services or the work that I did on struggles of parents to receive appropriate mental health services for their children and the ways in which they had to navigate those complex systems. So it's so hard to pick just one because they all mean something to me and matter to me for different reasons.
1: How important is it to you to have that kind of importance personally like is that part of the journalistic process is that you have to somehow buy into the mission of the story like why you're doing it or do you just dig into a story and it's got to come out. And that's what you do. Because if all of them mean something to you, you clearly have an emotional tie to the work you do. But I can't imagine that every journalist is always just so emotionally vested to any particular story.
0: I mean, of course not, right? (laughs) You know, we all have jobs to do. And some of us are more fortunate to, to make story decisions than others. And I would say, I couldn't even tell you how many stories I've done in my nearly 20 years as a journalist. I certainly couldn't name all of them for you. I'm fortunate, though, that at this point in my career, because I do national investigations, I have the sort of ownership over what I'm choosing. And generally, I'm choosing stories. You know, there's a process that we as journalists go through. We say, what's the minimum story that could come out of this Potential idea? What's the maximum story? What is the impact on people, on the public, if a fraction of this is true or if all of this is true? And so, as I'm making those decisions, as journalists, the most limited resource we have is ourselves and our time. And so, making choices about stories that really matter to the public that we're serving. And that's how I make the decisions I make. But I haven't always been in a position where I could do that. I've done plenty of of reporting where I was covering county fairs and not in any way to diminish county fairs, but they were fun stories to do. And they were interesting stories that I'm sure meant something to the people who were involved, but they're not affecting change or or impacting people's lives.
1: So I asked you the story you're most proud of. Again, appreciating that you deal with children and you mentioned, you know, seeing the worst of people and how that has affected you. I can also appreciate that (laughs) dealing with children also while, you know, needing to have the patience also can be traumatizing. It's one of the very reasons I went into corporate law because I can't deal emotionally with the challenges of family law or criminal law. It's a lot. It's emotional. It's people's lives being affected and oftentimes children are somehow in the mix of that. What has been one of your most challenging stories or trying stories or traumatizing stories that you had to push through and really get to the finish line? And then how do you deal? You mentioned exercise and such. How do you deal with that stress and that, you know, keeping your balance and keeping on mission and appreciating why you're doing what you're doing and keeping that as the finish line without letting it be so emotionally taxing that it kind of takes you out the game?
0: It'd be difficult to pick what project I've worked on is the most challenging because they all have different types of challenges. Sometimes the challenge might be getting an organization to talk. Sometimes the challenge might be helping support somebody who's been through really extreme trauma and making sure that they understand what it means to be part of a story, you know, because it's not just about getting the information out there we want to make sure that as journalists we're not doing harm and so making sure that people who do want to be part of these stories are prepared for what that may mean and making sure that they're making that decision in a place where they can make that choice for themselves and and understand what may come forward as an example the first survivors who came forward relating to Larry Nassar faced a lot of pushback from people who claimed they were lying or they were just in it for the money and all sorts of other things. And it really took time for the public as a whole to accept that these allegations were true and that these women were telling the truth of their experiences.
1: I want to ask about, because just as a novice, we hear the term whistleblower all the time. They're a whistleblower. They're a whistleblower. Is there a true definition of a whistleblower or is a whistleblower just someone who decides I'm going to tell the truth about something that I believe is not right, is not just, is not fair? Or is there a true legal or societal definition of a whistleblower? What constitutes a whistleblower?
0: I am sure there is a Merriam-Webster approved <laughs> definition of the word whistleblower. I would say generally speaking in the journalism context, when I hear that terminology, they're talking about somebody who may be involved in an organization and is sharing information about what's going on within that organization, putting their careers at risk, or there may be some legal risk involved, depending on if there are NDAs or that sort of thing. But generally, that's kind of the context that you hear that word. If you use that word more broadly, certainly you can talk about anyone who's sort of raising an alarm or shedding light about something else.
1: What was your big break? I'm sure there are plenty young journalists listening to this show who want to know, like, how do I get there? How do I become that journalist? How do I get to USA Today or Indy Star or any of other major journalism publication, how did you get that break? Were you discovered? Did you write a high school story that got picked up? How did that come about?
0: I don't think there's one right path. And so, you know, for any journalists who are listening, who are young and who are kind of looking for the path forward, I do want to make it clear there isn't one path forward. There are people who have gotten to different positions in a variety of ways. All I can speak to is my own experience. And as I mentioned earlier, I started in this career pathway very young. And I was fortunate that I started interning at a very small weekly paper near where I lived in Michigan. And the editor of that paper knew the college advisor where I was going to school at Grand Valley State and made that connection for me. And I started doing work for the college paper while doing freelance work at the same time. And I just sort of followed the career path. And for me, getting into investigation specifically, I was able to do that because I was looking for investigative stories regardless of what beat I was given. So when I was covering education, I was looking for sort of deeper dive stories on education. When I was covering government, I was looking for those types of stories. And I did enough of those stories that I was fortunate to have supportive bosses at the Times of Northwest Indiana who said, we love the work that you've been doing on all of the beats that you've been given. Would you be interested in doing investigations full time? And I said, Why,
1: well, yes, I, I would. <laughs> so I have the misconception that, or I guess the misperception that to be a big time journalist, you need to live in New York or LA or be in the Wall Street Journal. But you told me you've lived here this whole time. So again, for aspiring journalists who don't know the career path or who don't know how you get into the industry, it seems like you don't necessarily have to go to these huge cities, that there are opportunities in every major city to really become a journalist. So what would you advise as far as getting an opportunity at a local paper or a media outlet, et cetera?
0: Well, first, let me say that everyone's definition of success is different. And there are Some of the best journalists that I know are local journalists who are covering their local communities. Here in Indianapolis, there are amazing journalists in every facet of the media landscape who are doing work that really matters. And that is success. They are being successful and doing amazing work. For those who are interested in the national landscape, yes, most opportunities may exist in New York or D.C. or LA, but there are also increasingly more opportunities, especially since the pandemic for remote work. So my job is completely remote. I can work from here in Indianapolis, or I could work from a teeny tiny little town in Wyoming if I wanted to. I'm fortunate in having that geographic adaptability. And there are increasingly more jobs like that that do exist with national outlets or international outlets. But again, success can also be had here at home. And I know people who are covering communities that they grew up in, and that for them is incredibly meaningful work, and they're doing work that matters.
1: Yeah, I can appreciate so many of our local anchors and media personalities. I mean, when I look into them, they have had amazing journalistic history, like their careers have been amazing. And you don't know that just watching them present the news every night. I really appreciate that many of our local journalists and of course our national media personalities as well often do behind the scenes when they're not sitting on the you know local news are doing real journalism, doing investigative work, following up with people who call in and say hey, I know something you all should be interested in. And I don't think again because that's not my wheelhouse, I don't think I ever appreciated all it takes to be that person. Like even if you're sitting at the news anchor that during the day you're out and about on the beat, talking to people, getting stories, writing, etc. cetera. So just in that respect, obviously journalism is all about writing, right? That's the crux. It's like legal. What do you think makes a good writer? or makes you, you know, good enough. Like if you're going to journalism school, if you're majoring in journalism, clearly they're teaching you all how to write persuasively. I mean, it sounds a lot like law school or to at least write factually. What are some of the nuggets that you've learned and continue to implement in your writing today? And for all the young aspiring journalists who may be listening You know what should they be focusing on as they continue to aspire to be a journalist with regard to academic rigor and writing challenges
0: when i talk to young journalists i always tell them to be in this profession you have to be comfortable with change and when i say that what i mean is so much about the way that we do our work has changed since i started Social media did not exist when I started my career, right? And think about how that has changed the landscape of how we communicate and how we find sources and how we share information. But I also tell young journalists to remember, even as you are comfortable with change and as you understand that the way we do our work may evolve, to keep those core tenets of accuracy and fairness at the forefront and ethics, right? Right. We need to still, even while we adapt with the changing landscape, understand that we have this commitment ultimately to the public and making sure that we are being accurate and fair and that we are acting with integrity with anyone that we're interacting with.
1: Let me ask you, going back to kind of the diversity landscape in the context of journalism, I know as a black and african american woman it is often the perception of african americans that we just get such a poor representation in the media in journalism that it's always the worst of us that gets the story or the limelight not all the good things that are happening and that that affects the way people, the public view diverse people, African-Americans, Hispanic people, et cetera, especially if you're in a small town in Wyoming where you don't have black people around you or you don't have people of color around you, to know that that's not true or that's that person, but that's not every person of that particular race or ethnicity. So what are some of the tenets that you hold valuable And speaking to that fairness piece, that equity piece around how you report on things or how you consider how the public may view or engage with your stories, how they may look at the people or the kinds of people that you are discussing or describing with a fair lens, with a sense of, okay, that's one person, not a whole ethnicity of people, those kind of things. Because I do believe that's true. I mean, I watch news today and be like, why'd they have to put that person? Why'd they have to speak to that person? Why couldn't they have gotten a more educated person or a person looking a little more reasonable? Why did they have to put the black person with no shirt on or, you know, whatever the case may be? And I do believe over time, that does affect public perception. If that's all you see, that's all you know, you don't know any better. It is what it is. So what are your thoughts about that?
0: Well, first of all, I think that's a completely fair criticism. And I think that certainly going back into a time, you can see that absolutely being true. And many, many publications who have looked back at their past coverage, recognizing that they have made those mistakes And I do think there is an effort now to do better. Are we there yet? Of course not. But I'm glad that at least these outlets are trying. I think specifically to my work, you know, because my work is a subset of the broader journalism community, I don't generally write, for lack of better terminology, stories that are happy, right? right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I do think it's incredibly important to your broader point that we are showing successful people of color who are doing incredible things because there are many, many, many people out there doing amazing things that deserve to have the spotlight shown on the work that they're doing. Specific to my work, though, I think when I'm looking at and I do look at the diversity of my source network and how I'm having those conversations, I'm making sure that in these investigations that I'm doing that I'm also making sure to include experts who are people of color, who are incredibly knowledgeable about these topics and have something important that needs to be heard on this broader topic that I'm investigating. So while it may not be the sort of again, happily ever after type stories that I'm doing, I'm still trying to make sure that I'm fully representing the all the facets of communities that I cover or aspects of communities that I cover. Again, though, I think as an industry, we can and, and should be continuing to do better because I do think it can have an impact in places that may not have the diversity that a place like Indianapolis does.
1: Also, I'd like to ask you about, we're now in a time, and we've heard all that, particularly during the pandemic, where some people look at one media source or one outlet for their journalistic information, another type of people look at others, and everybody can now seemingly select the truth, select what they want to believe or what's factual. How does that affect the journalist who I would assume you know is still seeking facts and truth and reality but also appreciates that there's going to be a segment of the population, no matter how fact-based your story may be or how many experts you have or how many eyewitnesses you have who simply don't believe it or simply believe it's made up or simply believe you've put a spin on it or whatever the case may be. I have to believe that is a part of the evolution that you're dealing with in your field that you may or may not have been dealing with 10 or 20 years ago. Well, I don't know if you've been doing this 20 years. I but- have- have you been doing it 20 Lord years? Lord help me. <laughs> you, Me and you both. But I, I have to believe that also kind of affects how you write and how you approach things. Or you tell me, how does that affect you?
0: I mean, this could be an entire separate talk. <laughs> <laughs> so how do I distill this down? I, I think what I would say is, in some ways, there is a challenge with media literacy that exists today. And what I mean by that is that there are people who may not understand the difference between pundits, people who are paid to have an opinion, and then journalists doing the kind of work that I'm doing. And when you talk about sort of people choosing where to get their news, I imagine that what's coming to your mind when you're saying that are some of the bigger national networks like Fox News or MSNBC or CNN. And... There's certainly a place for those or entities in the media landscape, and a lot of people engage with them. But I would also say to the general public to understand that there is a difference between people who are paid to have a perspective, paid to have an opinion that they share with the public, versus those who put facts out there. And in Indianapolis, just using Indianapolis as an example, the vast majority of journalists who work in Indianapolis are... Objective journalists who are paid to share the information and the truth as it exists. There are also opinion journalists who are amazing, columnists who are paid to have an opinion. But those are two different functions. And so when I, when I have those kinds of conversations with people, I try to make sure that when people talk about the media is biased or the media doesn't this or doesn't that, to understand what we're talking about when we're talking about the media.
1: As we begin to wrap up, I want to ask you, when you look back on your career, what would you like to see some of the changes, like some positive changes, things that you've dealt with throughout your career or during your career that, you know, you hope 20 years from now, the younger journalists coming in won't have to deal with? And what are some things that you hope continue to be pillars of your field, you know, that young journalists continue to remain true to some of those features and aspects of just doing good work, just being a good journalist, just being fact-based and people digest it however they digest it. What are your thoughts?
0: Young journalists continuing to focus on the core tenets of our profession, on being accurate and being fair and being ethical in the way that we do our work. In terms of things that I would love to see go away... We touched on this a little bit when we were talking about my colleagues who are journalists of color, but the vitriol in particular that the female journalists of color that I know deal with on social media or in their inboxes from people who feel emboldened somehow to speak to them that way, I would love to see that go away. I think that's probably, maybe I'm dreaming a little too big, but I think that the kind of Horrible things that they've had to endure in the course of just doing their jobs and doing their jobs really well has been incredibly unfortunate. And I would love to see that go away. And I would love to see, again, that commitment to good work continue because we've seen nationally the number of local journalists has gone down. And it's such incredible work that happens at the local and hyper-local levels. And I would love to find a way to sustain those business models so that work continues.
1: I just want to uh, ask you, follow up on your question about the vitriol that your women of color colleagues get. Is that also a function of social media in a way that wasn't previously? Or have journalists always been a bit accessible where, you you know, it's just a nasty letter versus an email or a text message or somebody on your DM on some social media platform?
0: I certainly think that it's we are more accessible than we ever have been. But I would also say that if you compare it to the communications that male colleagues get, or even myself or other white female colleagues, we don't experience that same level. And I'm speaking in generalities, right? I mean, there are individual cases that are different. But speaking broadly, I I would say that what they experience is, is much different and much more challenging.
1: I appreciate you bringing that up because I don't think that that's something that certainly the public would know or appreciate or even be privy to. And it just continues to hearken on how there are biases and there are disparities in me and you doing exactly the same thing. But how the public receives it from you versus how they receive it from me are very different I appreciate that. And I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. So as we come to a close, I want to finish by asking you, what would you suggest to any diverse journalists who are interested and young journalists? What would you suggest they do or aspire to do in order to make sure that they can become a true professional journalist, either here in Indiana or elsewhere? And how would you assert them to seek mentors? I would wonder what mentorship looks like in Indiana in the journalism field. Like, where would you get, if I'm a young, aspiring journalist, who do I go to to get mentorship or to find out where I can write a little story for my local paper or write a story for my college paper or whatever? Like, what does that look like?
0: First To young journalists of color, we need you in our profession. So please join us and please don't get discouraged by the process. I'd also say there are a lot of different ways to get mentors. There are mentors that you can find through organizations, again, like NABJ or NAHJ, AAJA and others. There's also a media mentors website where people who are at all levels of our profession have volunteered their time And want to hear from young journalists who need a safe place to have a conversation and feel supported. I'm part of that organization. You can reach out to me anytime. And there are lots of journalists in Indiana who would love to support young journalists who are coming up and help encourage them. Speaking more broadly about kind of how do you get into this field and how do you move forward? You said it yourself. The more that you can produce the work the more you'll be able to move into those positions.
1: I so appreciate you giving me this education. Again, this is truly a field I know nothing about. It is so outside of my wheelhouse. And it's so, I think given where we are with so much focus and attention these days on media outlets and media and journalism, it's really a great opportunity to focus on what it takes to be a journalist and how that career path has changed. And that is still very important that we have people in our community, in our city who want to aspire to stay true to the facts and let the public know the truth about what may or may not be happening in any organization, any institution, in their local chamber or legislative bodies or etc. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for being a part of our Indiana community. And thanks for coming to be on the Freedom Forum this month. Thank you for having me. Thank you again to Marissa Kwiatkowski. And thanks to you for joining us on this 27th episode of IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. Please come back next month for another conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the central Indiana business community.